We want to welcome you again to another service as we begin our Christmas series in preparation for our Christmas Eve service. So glad that you could join us, whether it's online or here in the sanctuary. We are glad that you are here. Obviously, by now, you have probably noticed the Christmas season is in full swing. There are Christmas lights, people are decorating their homes, certainly our stage has been decorated with Christmas tree. And it seems to me, though, that Christmas seems to be coming earlier and earlier every year. By November 1st, decorations are up in stores, radio stations have started playing their Christmas songs. People, I heard, are now able to take pets to Santa Claus. All kinds of Christmas events and functions are beginning to happen. I've got a clip here of, a, of people starting their Christmas shopping on Black Friday at Macy's in New York City. Watch this. It's nuts. It's crazy. It was a little, a little wild to walk in the door because everyone was waiting. And it was like you were going to get trampled to get in here. But it was quite magical when you actually got in and saw the lights and stuff. I just don't know um, how all these people are going to buy anything because it's a little wild. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> so if you could describe Christmas... In one word, those of you who are online, maybe you want to put in the chat a word that would describe Christmas to you. How would you describe Christmas? If you had one word that you could describe Christmas, how would you describe it? Would it be food or friends or music, family, atmosphere? How about decorations, giving, presents? These are all words that somehow describe Christmas. But one thing that happens with Christmas is there's a frenzy that begins to happen, as you saw in the video. A frenzy, a compulsion to be among people and to drive, be driven towards purchase. There is something that I do personally every Christmas season is I make a conscientious effort to slow down. A conscious effort to refocus my heart, refocus my mind, to begin to reprioritize what I will be doing, and to celebrate Christmas with a distinct, real purpose in mind. Because you see, friends, we can get so busy during the Christmas season that all the things that we can participate in, all the things that we love to do, we can miss what Christmas is all about. All the decorations, all the gatherings, all the festivities, all the family get-togethers, the food, all the fun markets, all the stuff that is going on, sometimes those things get moved to the front of our priority list, and many times the real meaning of Christmas gets left behind. 
Now, please understand, there's nothing wrong with the events that we participate in. It's important to participate in the celebration of Christmas. But the danger happens when we first begin to forget the real meaning of Christmas, the reason why we are celebrating. You see, we live in this commercialized version of Christmas, and the danger happens when we reduce, when we reduce Jesus, the subject of Christmas, and he just becomes a part of the show that we are watching. I don't know if you can relate to that, but we need to, I think, begin to step back a little bit and to make a conscientious effort to refocus the purposes of our Christmas. So my goal today, and during these Christmas messages, is I want to encourage you not to shut off Christmas, but to indeed shut off the to-do list that may be running through your mind right now. The things that you are planning to participate right now, the things that maybe you want to do this afternoon in regards to Christmas, and for a moment, turn your attention for the next 20 or 30 minutes and focus on our Lord Jesus Christ. To focus on Jesus, to focus on his birth. Not not just to listen to the retelling of the story again, but to go a little bit deeper a little bit more focused onto what is transpiring within your soul. Is the mystery of Jesus still alive within you? Is he still the savior of your life? What do you feel when you think about Jesus, the person of Jesus associated with Christmas? What are the feelings that you are personally experiencing within your soul? As a matter of fact... If you read in the Bible the Christmas story, they're actually only found in two places, in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. And when I study these events, the Christmas events that we celebrate, the birth of Jesus, I see something different that is portrayed, something much more different than how we present the Christmas event today. Over 2,000 years ago, we've learned... In the 2,000 years since the birth of Christ, we have learned how to produce the Christmas story into good theater. We've taken the birth of Jesus, and we've done everything to it. We've put music to the birth of Jesus. We've put it into dance. We've put it into theater. We've put it into comedy. And we've put it into movies. We have sanitized the birth of Jesus. The story of the birth of Jesus has become cute, it has become warm, and it's become fuzzy, and it's there to make people feel good. But actually, behind the scenes, the birth of Jesus is much different than that. How many of you can say, in your lifetime, you have somewhere seen the reenactment of the birth of Christ, at least once in your life. Sometime in your life, you have witnessed the reenactment of the birth of Jesus, where you've maybe sat in auditorium and you witnessed the wise men, who are usually the old men of the congregation, walk down the middle of the aisle, playing wise men, 
pointing to some star in the horizon. They always have robes on and jewelry, and they're wearing turbans and fake beards as they walk. Slowly down the aisle in search of the baby Jesus. And then you think about Mary. Mary, who is on stage, she always looks gorgeous. She's usually a young person within the church. She doesn't look anything like a person who has spent hours in labor. She looks like a model. She looks like she's just walked out of a day spa and that she's carrying the supernatural baby of the Lord, which is normally played by a doll. And then you have the shepherds. The shepherds, if you've watched the production, the shepherds are usually the little children within the church congregation. And it's usually the children who didn't want to be anything else. And they were forced by their parents to be the shepherds. And they're playing either the shepherds or the sheep. That's pageantry. That's the pageantry of the Christian event. But if you think back to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, you have got to know this. It was much dirtier than what is being portrayed on stage. It is much more grittier. It is a lot less Hollywood and much more human. There is much more to the life story than the pageantry that we see. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, I want to take a few weeks to just go behind the scenes and for you to witness some of the key characters in this event. Because you begin to see something about these people that you don't see in theatrics. There is something that is more real, something that is grittier, something that kind of should inspire you to be awestruck by the presence of Jesus. The first person I want to start with is Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says these words about Joseph. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's pause here for a second. Joseph was a good man. The Bible says he was a just man. And when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he wanted to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, he couldn't in good conscience... Marry his fiance because a marriage to her would have been an admission of his guilt when he had done nothing wrong. But because he was a good man, a just man, he was not willing to expose her to public ridicule and public humiliation and disgrace through a broken engagement. It would have ruined her. She would have been ostracized by the community back in those times. So what Joseph decided to do was that he was quietly going to disassociate himself from her. And in doing so, it was a more compassionate way to remove himself from Mary so that she wouldn't get hurt. Now if you pause and think about that, that was a a lot to do for Joseph. But I've got to believe, deep down in his heart, he was upset at the news that Mary shared with him that, he, that she was now pregnant with the news of a Christ child. Probably angry, certainly shocked, 
most likely very confused, and perhaps even upset. How could you do this? Where did this come from? I thought I knew you. What do you mean you are pregnant from the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? You get, you get a sense, you get an idea of what Joseph must have gone through when Mary reported to him that she was pregnant. Verse 20 says, verse 20 says, notice these words. I'm just waiting for verse 20 to come up, please. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of Mary, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice some very important words here. When the angel of the Lord came to Joseph, he mentioned some very key words. Do not be afraid. Why do you think, through the angel, God told Joseph not to be afraid? Because Joseph was afraid. Joseph was afraid. Joseph was afraid at public humiliation. Joseph was afraid of what would happen to his relationship with Mary. He was afraid. You need to understand, he was afraid of what people were to say about what was about to transpire. He was also afraid because he, he thought he knew Mary. All his dreams All of his future that he was hoping for, the incredible dreams of life that he had with Mary together, what was that going to be like? Then all of a sudden, the bombshell is dropped. I'm pregnant. Verse 22 and verse 24 goes on to say these words. Listen to these words. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, once Joseph realized that this was a God thing, this was a divine intervention of God when the angel appeared before him in this dream, this was God intervening into the life of Mary, he did the right thing. Even if you do, listen, even if you do the right thing, it doesn't mean that your fear goes away. He still needed the message from the angel, do not be afraid. Because sometimes in our world, when you do the right thing, it's a very scary proposition. Because when everybody else is doing the wrong thing and you decide to do the right thing and what is the accepted thing, even though you do the right thing, it takes courage to stand for the right thing. And Joseph in this particular instance decided he was going to do the right thing and he was going to marry his, marry his pregnant fiance. Now behind the scenes, behind the scenes, The very person of Joseph that you would normally see acted out on the stage 
the person that you would see being presented before you would be just a normal human being. But you need to understand, when you look at the Bible and you see the description of Joseph, though his life was described as a good and just man, you need to understand that his life was in a tailspin. It was literally flipped upside down. The future that he had counted upon, the future that he was looking forward to had now been turned upside down. And the thoughts that he must have thought about, about being the father of the savior of the world, how, how is he going to parent him? How is he going to dis- discipline the son of God? There's, see, there's a lot of mystery and a lot of fear behind the scenes. That's why the angel came to him with all of these questions in his mind, with all of these projections happening within his life about his future, there was something that was happening where he needed to hear the message of the Lord. Do not be afraid. So behind the scenes, when you think about Joseph, you always need to associate him with the word fear. But then there's Mary. Here's Mary, the second person in the story, destined to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Behind the scenes, you see a young woman living an impossible story, a pregnant virgin. There's certainly no explanation with that one. There's no possible marketing plan that you could come up with to spin the right story from all the accusations that must have been happening in her community. Can you imagine for a moment behind the scenes? Can you imagine the conversation that Mary must have had with her mother for the first time when she told her mother that she was pregnant? Imagine what that must have been like. Mom, I've got to tell you something. I swear, all we did was hold hands and kiss. And the mom saying, that must have been some kiss. Behind the scenes, there was chaos in that household when Mary told her parents she was pregnant. But her pregnancy, her pregnancy was not a natural act. It was a supernatural act of God where God chose a young woman to begin to fulfill his plan to the world. How privileged Mary must have felt, yet how difficult to explain. How difficult the feelings within her own life. See, the Mary that we oftentimes see on stage who looks perfect, who looks as a young, radiant woman and, and, is, and is just absolutely stunning, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what we see on stage. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5, notice what the Bible says. And because Joseph was a descendant of King of David, he had to go to Bethlehem to Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. 
Now, this last year in Canada, we participated in the census, whether you did it online or by mail. But back then, in the first century, they had to fill out their paperwork face-to-face with another human being, and they had to go back to their own birth city. And for David, it meant going back to Jerusalem. Now, David at this time, I mean, uh, uh, Joseph at this time was living in Bethlehem, and he had to travel back to Bethlehem from Nazareth, which was a journey of about 120 kilometers. Now, you have to understand, Mary is pregnant. And to travel this distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem took probably five to six days. So when you think about behind the scenes, don't picture Mary on a stage. Behind the scenes, she is traveling on the back of a donkey for five or six days. Think about that for a moment. Pregnant. And did you notice what the Bible said? She was now expecting a child. There are some translations that translate that little verbiage, obviously pregnant, which means that she was almost at term. So she's riding on a donkey, traveling 120 kilometers, almost at term. Picture that for a moment. That's the real life story of Mary. Pregnant. Let me tell you something. That is not a joy ride. That is not a joy ride that she was experiencing. In fact, the Bible says in verse 6 and verse 7 of Luke chapter 2, while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. So as the moment that she traveled those, all those kilometers, when she arrives at Bethlehem, she was ready to give birth. She was at full term. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. When you think about this, when you take your mind and put it behind the scenes, do you really see the same kind of Mary that is often portrayed on stage? Do you see an angelic, glowing, radiant Mary? When I think about the Christmas story, when I think about what I read in the Christmas events, I think about Mary as somebody who is extremely uncomfortable, someone who is obviously pregnant, riding a mule for 120 kilometers, and then doesn't give birth in a bed. When I think about Mary, I think about her experiences living in that time, carrying the Savior as a person who was enduring extremely uncomfortable conditions. So when you think about Mary during this Christmas season, when you read about Mary through the Scriptures, think about her as a person who was enduring much uncomfortable situations. I've witnessed two births, both of my children, I remember, I remember going to classes, 
training, they called it, to be a coach. With a stopwatch they gave you, you were to time the breathing, and then you were waiting for the water to break. But when my wife gave birth to our children, I didn't put her on a donkey and travel 120 kilometers. When my wife was ready to give birth, I put her in a comfortable car. We drove 20 kilometers to the hospital where they valet parked our vehicle. When we entered into the room, there was beautiful jazz music playing. The nurses were out there. Everything was hooked up to relieve the pain. She had some epidural. In other words, made all the pain go away. And while she was waiting for the birth of our first child, she was sipping Diet Coke and eating ice chips while all the same time, her compassionate, caring, handsome coach with a, with a stopwatch was next to her. My wife was in a very comfortable position. Now, I compare that to what Mary must have gone through when her water broke, and it was time for action. There was no hospital. There was no room at the inn. The Savior of the world was going to be born in the manger, surrounded by animals. Not exactly the place that you would think of for the king of the world to be born. In a dark, stinky, manure-infested, smelling rotten hay environment. That's a behind-the-scenes look of where Mary was born. I mean, where Jesus was born, where Mary gave birth. And I've got to believe that the word that describes Mary more than any other word is the word uncomfortable. That's the description. That's the description when you think of Mary that you need to have imprinted on your mind. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And then you go further behind the scenes and you look at the innkeeper. The innkeeper to me is always a very interesting person because in the retelling of the event of the birth of Jesus, the innkeeper is always vilified as a bad person. He's the villain in the entire story. How could somebody reject a pregnant woman? How could somebody reject a woman who needed to give birth and kind of turn the blind eye to to Mary. It seems to me the innkeeper is the Scrooge of Christmas. See, I never hear anybody getting on Joseph's case for bad planning. Nobody gives him any grief. Joseph, why didn't you plan ahead? Why didn't you send a carrier pigeon and make a reservation at the inn? Why didn't you check on Travelocity? Why didn't you use your Arabia Express card and make reservations for Mary? You could have planned ahead, but it's always the innkeeper who is looked upon as that wicked person, that evil person, the one who d didn't care. But here's the deal. The innkeeper 
is rarely mentioned in the Bible. There's only one little phrase, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And it basically says, there was no lodging available. The different translations of the Bible say the same thing. There was no room in the hostel. There was no lodging available. There was no guest room available for them. That's the description. That's all we see of this innkeeper. But behind the scenes, behind the scenes, I don't see the innkeeper as someone who is evil or a terrible, self-absorbed person. I just see someone who is very occupied. He had a full guest house, full of people, and there was simply no room. All the rooms were full, completely sold out. Motel 6 didn't leave any lights on. It was completely sold out. What you need to be clear is, the inn was occupied. And behind the scenes, all the guests that needed to be taken care of, the innkeeper was busy. Full house, probably moving from room to room, making sure all the guests were taken care of, and he didn't have any space left over for Jesus. So when you think about the innkeeper, and you think about his description of who he was or who he is in this entire story, he represents somebody who you could classify as completely and totally occupied. Occupied. So you're dealing with Joseph, who had fear issues. You're dealing with Mary in this story, who was a person very uncomfortable. And thirdly, you're dealing with an innkeeper who was occupied. Those are the behind-the-scenes descriptions of people in this Christmas story. But there's another group of people I want to call the first visitors. And the reason why I call them the first visitors is because when you go behind the scenes, in the book of Matthew, it's the wise men. In the book of Luke, it's the shepherds. These first people who responded, these first visitors, in both of these narratives have the same response. Look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 16 through, through verse 18. They hurried to the village. And they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Verse 18. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. Now you flip over to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. You see the wise men showing up in this event. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Same response as the shepherds. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What was their response? Their response in the presence of Jesus, with Mary and Joseph there, their response was to worship. 
both the shepherds and the wise men. The magi from the east both worship the Savior. Now, what I want you to see here is that in this moment, as the wise men and as the shepherds came, what they did afterwards is they took their worship to the streets. Notice what the Bible said. They went about, they went out, and they told everyone what they had experienced while they were in the presence of the Savior. When they were with Jesus, the Bible says all the people who heard their exclamation were astonished. Some translations say they were amazed. Other translations say people were dumbfounded. Other translations say they were overwhelmed. Here's the description. When people heard of the worship that transpired as these wise men and as the shepherds went out, amazed, dumbfounded, overwhelmed, awestruck. As you go behind the scenes, you really begin to think about this. There was something that transpired within that moment that changed the direction and changed the life of the shepherds when they encountered the Savior. When when was the last time, I had to ask myself this question, when was the last time you were ever amazed or astonished? When was the last time where you just couldn't keep your mouth shut, where you had to tell somebody about what you experienced. I was thinking about that, and I thought, the only time that I really sometimes get excited is I've seen some of my friends who had before and after pictures that they've posted where they've lost a lot of weight. There was this before picture of what they looked like, and then there was this after picture where they've lost many, many many pounds, and I'm like amazed. How did that transpire? What happened? But you know, as I thought about that, as much as my amazement is there of my friends who've lost a lot of weight, I don't go out into the streets, and I don't pick up the phone, and I don't call people and, and tell them, I, want, I, want, I was so amazed with this, I just have to tell you about it. I don't run out into the streets and knock on my neighbor's door and tell them, did you know my friend lost a lot of weight? I've never had that kind of amazement. I've never been so awestruck that I would do something so significant and then run down to the fitness gym and say, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that myself. If they can do, lose all that weight, I'm going to start today and start worshiping at the fitness gym and lose all this weight. As much as the amazement happens, I don't do that. This experience of the wise men, the magi from the east, and the shepherds, the type of awesome experience that they experienced when they encountered the Christ child, they were so amazed, so awestruck, they took it to the streets They could not contain themselves. So when you think about the shepherds in this Christmas story, when you read about the magi from the east, the wise men, the word that should resonate within you is this word awestruck. Those 
four words describe four feelings that when you go behind the scenes of the Christmas story, you read about and you see the words afraid, uncomfortable, occupied, and awestruck. Those are the words that describe the Christmas story. Now, now it's your turn. Here's where I want to turn it to you. I want you to go behind the scenes in your life. I want you to go behind in your life, backstage, a place where nobody else can see, deep within your soul, in your spirit. What do you feel about Christmas today in your life? Don't think about the pageantry. Don't think about all the busyness. Get behind the scenes in your own life. Maybe Jesus brings fear into your life. Maybe you're afraid of what your life would be like if you totally align yourself to the teachings of Jesus. And maybe you're afraid of the demands that he may make upon your life and you are fearful. Or maybe Jesus makes you uncomfortable You like the way you are living right now. You've crafted a very comfortable life. You have a nice lifestyle. And you don't want Jesus to make you uncomfortable on how you think or respond or treat other people. Or maybe when it comes to Jesus, when you're really honest with yourself and you look behind the scenes and you go deep into your soul, into your spirit, Maybe your life is just occupied. You're too busy for Jesus. Your life is filled up. There's a lot of things on your schedule. Worship isn't really a priority for your life. When you pray, it's on the run. Bible reading, who's got time to read the Bible? See, your life becomes occupied. Your mind becomes occupied with all kinds of things. Life is so busy. There's no time left. There's no room left. There's no room left at the end. Your heart is occupied with all the things that need to be done. You've got big plans. There's a future to plan for. And it's tough to make room for Jesus. Or maybe when it comes to Jesus... Maybe there's something within you that evokes an emotion, a feeling where you are awestruck and it defines you. Just the name of Jesus. When you mention the name of Jesus, there's some feelings within your soul that causes and percolates and the Spirit of God evolves some, some personal new feelings within your life and you come to a place where you just want to be with God's people to worship. The name of Jesus rocks your world. It gives you a new passion. It gives you something to live for. There's a new compassion for others. Your life is not perfect, absolutely not, but there is something in the name Jesus that has captured your heart where Jesus now begins to guide your thinking and guide your life. And you want other people to know of that experience that has happened in your life. There is something that has transformed you. Maybe you are awestruck by Jesus. You see, behind the scenes, the fear, the uncomfortableness, the being occupied or being awestruck are the same things that you and I experience within our own spirits And we are confronted with those same words during the Christmas season. 
You see, behind the scenes of your life, there are things that you are wrestling with, all of us, of the essence and the meaning of what Christmas is all about. And every time that we come into this season, the Christmas season defines who we are. It defines something in the feelings that we have for Christmas. And if you're sitting here in this sanctuary or you're watching online, you may think you're experiencing being afraid and you're the only one experiencing that. Or maybe you're thinking that this whole idea of Jesus and the Christmas story is making you uncomfortable or you're too occupied with Jesus. But no matter where you are, no matter what you are experiencing, no matter how you identify with Christmas, I want you to know this, that behind the scenes... There is a God who wants to embrace you. There is a God behind the scenes who wants you to forget about your past. There is a God who doesn't want you to be afraid as you face the future. There is a God behind the scenes who knows what you are feeling, who knows the most innermost feelings that you are experiencing in life whether you feel occupied or uncomfortable or fearful, whatever it might be, whether you feel aimless, He knows the feelings that you are experiencing. And God is presenting you with Jesus. And He is saying, here is my gift to you, the Savior of the world, in the midst of your dilemmas, in the midst of what you are experiencing, whatever hurts you've gone through, whatever pain you are presently in, here's my gift to you this Christmas season. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And in the midst of all the excitement, of all the stuff that Christmas is made of, in the midst of that, you can find peace and you can find love and you can find joy because you've encountered Jesus. And when you encounter Jesus in a personal way, it should evoke a response of worship. And in a few moments, in a few moments, we're going to participate in communion. And that is your opportunity to think about Christmas in a new way, in a new light. As you, as you take hold of the communion emblems and, and begin to worship Jesus who was given to you as a gift. I really want you to think about this before you come back next week. This is not just another message, another week, another day in your life. What I really want you to think about are these four feelings behind the scenes. And basically get to the place of what. What do I feel when I focus on Jesus? What are the descriptions of the words that I feel when I begin to focus on Jesus? As I reflect on Christmas, what do I feel and what do I think about when I read about the birth of Jesus? Is it fear? Is it being uncomfortable? Is it being occupied? Or am I awestruck? Awestruck to the point where I worship God. Let's pray together 
and prepare our hearts for communion. Heavenly Father, this morning, may we be awestruck at the gift that you've presented to the world through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed me. Thank you that I can celebrate the goodness of your grace extended toward me. Thank you that you have forgiven me. And I stand here today, Lord, acknowledging that you have given me the greatest gift that can ever be offered to the world. And Jesus, I worship you. And as I partake now of communion, may I experience the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the peace, the joy that your name brings into my life. Jesus, you mean everything to me. I pray in God's holy name. Amen and amen.